the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. We're pleased to be joined by Charlie Kirk, founder and president of Turning Point USA, chairman of Students for Trump, and host of the uh, newly minted Charlie Kirk Show, which premieres across the Salem Network on AM560, The Answer, here at 1 p.m. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dan and Amy. Great to be talking to you guys. Thank uh, you. So um, what about uh, the, the people that you interact with uh, as the head of Students for Trump and all the Turning Point USA chapters on campuses across the country? W- where do you get do you get the sense that uh, that uh, 18 to 25 demographic may provide a, a surprise, as some are suggesting Latino and, and black families may surpri- provide a surprise? Well, it, it's hard to tell. There are two things I know to be true, the first of which is that Joe Biden will be unable to replicate the enthusiasm that Barack Obama had in 08 and 2012 with younger voters. I, I can say it right here. Joe Biden will not have 2008 style turnout or support from younger voters. And I don't think he'll have 2012 style either. And so the question is, where does kind of Joe Biden land on the youth vote spectrum? I think the president's going to do very well with younger voters in certain states. I can say confidently the president will probably lose the youth vote in California and New York. But You take a state like Wisconsin or a state like Ohio or Pennsylvania, especially as a lot of these campuses are closed and on-campus voting is not happening. So for a lot of these Democrats, a key key area of GOTV and voter registration and kind of running up the numbers in some of these states have been some of these massive Big Ten campuses, University of Wisconsin-Madison, Penn State University, even University of Illinois. And with these campuses being at one-fourth capacity and no events happening at all on campus and the voter registration deadline already being passed, we are seeing a lot of the Democrats' typical infrastructure kind of being put into question. I don't know how that will materialize politically, but I could tell you being on the ground in 2016, these campuses were massive centers of Democrat activism. And now that that's kind of being taken off the kind of out of the equation, I can't imagine that'll be a good thing for Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually a really good point, just because at U of I, I mean, U of I, some of these college towns, you think, oh, well, they're liberal, so they're represented by Democrats. Not exactly. U of I plays a big role in Rodney Davis's election and re-election in central Illinois. Rodney Davis, a Republican, that's uh, been a close race, Mm -hmm. and it gets even closer in a presidential year. So without that presence there, that gives some swing Republican districts uh, held by Republicans a bit of a leg up like Rodney Davis. That is, that's a salient point. Thank you. Yes. And I think that, sorry, go ahead, Amy. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you about, you know, just getting the young vote for Trump. I saw you out in Kane County and I could not believe that thousands of people showed up. And what's the message that you're sending to the young generation? Well, thank you. And first of all, I'm so proud to be from Illinois. It pains me to say that. Um, I grew up listening to both you guys and listened to the station. As you know, you guys talk about that means, that means we're old, Amy. He grew up listening to us. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard anybody well, say that. Uh, the first time. I know. There you go. But also, but 
coming being from Illinois is something that I tell people all the time. It's it's a great place, and it's too bad what politics has done to you know that amazing, incredible state of Illinois. And so I, I kind of look at first of all that event you mentioned Amy, was unbelievable. Oh, it was yeah. it was in Geneva, five thousand people easily, right? And I, I showed up, and I was texted like somebody texted me beforehand. They're like, yeah. Expect a couple hundred people. And we sh- I mean, I've never seen enthusiasm like that. So, look, our message to young people is pretty simple, which is the do you want to take responsibility for your country and for your life? And there's only really one political party right now that's going to tell you the the honest truth of really what's happening for you be able, being able to live kind of a, a normal life. And I use that term intentionally, kind of normal life, because. You know, Joe Biden, and the Democrats, they will win the free stuff Olympics. They're going to promise more stuff than we will. Um, we will be able to communicate a lot better to younger families and people that actually want to make something of their life. And mm. so I think that that is a that has been an increasingly winning message, especially as we are seeing birth rates go down and marriage rates go down. A lot of young people are searching for a political party that will be able to basically give them promise and give them assuredness that they'll be able to kind of live the middle-class American dream again. Happy to build out that point more, but there's a lot of economic indicators that show that young people are less likely to kind of live that that form and that lifestyle. Uh, the, the, just on, on campus, uh, staying on campus for a moment, the larger question that transcends any presidential election sort of trajectory culturally, because uh, we've lost so many cultural institutions uh, to the left, including academia. And I wonder, with the Turning Point USA chapters, what your sense is as to whether or not that they're having a real impact, not just in terms of allowing students who are dissidents, essentially intellectual dissidents to congregate, but also uh, presenting arguments that other students hadn't heard before. They didn't hear it from their parents. They didn't hear it in K through 12. And maybe they are starting to break through and break through even with some of the professors who are also sort of uh, oftentimes on islands on their own campus and developing relationships between people who actually do believe in pluralism, intellectual pluralism on a college campus. Are we seeing any material progress there? Yeah, we are. And we're, we're seeing thousands and thousands of people that message us and are part of our ranks that are former liberals and formerly on the left. And I commonly say that it's not that young people are opposed to our ideas. It's that they haven't been exposed to them properly in the first place. And Dan, you said it best. I, I, the other issue that we are finding a lot of success with which is the we should have a country where you shouldn't have to self-censor your political or religious beliefs. Seventy one percent, according to a Cato Institute poll, uh, when young people were polled, said that they are afraid to express their political or religious beliefs. And they said if they do so, they believe they will lose materially. They'll lose their job. They'll lose their friends. They'll lose some sort of contract or relationship. Uh, that is a very disturbing and troubling trend. And the university campuses is the point of origination for that. And so a lot of young people are quietly um, upset about what we call cancel culture. I can't stand that term because I don't think it's complete and comprehensive enough. But that's kind of the best filler term that we have, which is basically it's it's societal punishment culture. Is that if you dare not say the dogma the way you're supposed to say it, um, we're going to make sure you suffer. Yeah. So it's the purge is what that's it is. Fair. It's cultural gulags mm-hmm. uh, in, in lieu of pretend uh, or in uh, on a path to potentially real gulags, but right now they're just cultural and economic in, in nature. And I, I, I hope that uh, some people are starting to figure that out when they see people go down for expressing a legitimate point of view that just happens to disagree with the orthodoxy on campus or 
uh, or, 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 you know, young people in, in a biz- the business world, too. We've seen plenty of examples of that. No, no that, that's so I think that if we are going to try to create a prosperous country for young people, if you do not have speech, if you don't have the capacity to discuss other ideas, you don't have a country. It's that simple. Then you're just going to govern people by force. There's only really two ways to organize every governmental system. Are you going to persuade people to give you power or are you going to force people to give you power? And unfortunately, you see this recent college survey where, you know, 22 percent of college students, all college students think it's acceptable to use violent force to try to silence views you don't agree with. And 65 percent of college Democrats say it's okay to shout or interrupt or use any means necessary to prevent conservative speakers from coming on campus. So you kind of play that out. What, what does that country look like 10 years from now? I mean, the, the answer is rather obvious. But if, if we don't get back to a country where you can have a marketplace of ideas, uh, I'm afraid where that's going to head. Uh, what are we looking for with the forthcoming Charlie Kirk oh, yes. show? Uh, it's going to be uh, one to two right here on AM five six. Uh, like hip hop, uh, hacky sacking. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do you what do Paint you kids, numbers? What do you what kids do? You guys... do? Yeah. Well, it'll be a little bit different of a show. We've been doing the podcast now for a year and a half, and it's it's been going really well. Um, it's it's going to have a little bit more of a, a younger flavor in the sense of kind of what we're hearing and seeing on university campuses and kind of an intergenerational kind of show where we're talking about what adults can actually do to try to leave a better country for my generation and our generation. And, and also we're going to kind of talk about it from a front lines perspective. You know, I'm still traveling the country almost in a new city every day, speaking at rallies, speaking at events and kind of in the arena, if you will, especially this last big push before the election. Oh, good. Hey, stick it to those baby boomers because uh, they've been a real problem. So don't be afraid to go after them, uh, even though they're your elders. Charlie Kirk, founder and president of Turning Point USA, chairman of Students for Trump, host of The Charlie Kirk Show, premiering across the Salem Network and on our airwaves, AM 560, at 1 p.m. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the program. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Hugh Hewitt for townhall.com. Two years ago, I wrote of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's approach to judicial appointees who will respect America's founding document, saying that it was not an overstatement that the leader had saved the Constitution as we know it. With the successful confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, McConnell will complete the effort of repairing a great breach in the Constitution that began a half century ago when the left commandeered the courts for the purposes of legislating from the bench instead of applying the law from there. Much consequential legislation has been passed during McConnell's tenure, but it's the three new Supreme Court justices and, so far, 53 appeals court judges that mark McConnell's contribution to the nation. In the 19th century, Henry Clay, the great Kentuckian, was called the great compromiser. Today, we ought to be referring to Leader McConnell as the great constitutionalist. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.